Good morning, everyone. Good morning, um, June. Um, I feel a little bad because I, I this morning I was told Deborah I, I wasn't going to come back to get the kids, and then you did graduation. She's not able to make it. She's going on about something surgery a couple days ago, and I can't, I'm sore. I can't get up. I don't know. Just kidding. Just kidding. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> she did have. For those that don't know, she had hernia surgery on Friday, so she's pretty sore and still struggling to kind of get around and. It's kind of hard for me to run back and get the kids and come back again, so they stayed home. Because I actually had three of them that would, well, actually Landon's not around because he got invited to go on a Disney cruise. He didn't clear that with me beforehand that, you know, I was supposed to go with him. <laughs> but uh, he's going, he's graduating and going to University of Maryland, College Park, and uh, Ronan's going to Eastern Tech, and then Marshall's going to go to Perry Hall Middle. All right. Yes, that is a good thing. They're moving on. Counting the days, you know, right? Uh, it's still going to be a while. It's going to be a long while. Um, so do you continue to pray for Deborah too? She's pretty sore. Um, she's, uh, it's tough for her to get around. Um, so we're going to continue our, our, our look at the life of Christ. Today we're looking at the time that Jesus um, calms the storm. Um, and just as a reminder, Jim, I got, I, I managed to get Jim's, uh, um, uh, his uh, PowerPoint, so now I'm going to put this little podcast reminder in there that we have, uh, you can go in and listen to this sermon or previous sermons if you'd like. Um, but we're going to continue on with the life of Christ, and we're looking at kind of the storms of life, faith in the storms of life, Luke passage 8, 22 through 25. A question, though, before we jump in, have you ever played a game called Ding Dong Ditch or anything like that before? Oh, they're good. Hey, some people are honest. Remember, the Lord is looking. Um, you know, it's a typical prank. Um, uh, and, you know, it's interesting as I've gone, grown, grown older, I've had this happen uh, on a couple of occasions. Somebody, somebody rings the doorbell and runs away. And I'm curious, as to how, did, how have you responded to this if you've had this happen? Um, you know, do you, um, uh, do you yell at them? Do you curse them out? Do you try to find their parents and tell them to stop doing it? Um, uh, although, when it has happened to me, I've always had to remind myself that I was a kid at one point, and I need to calm down. Um, and not to get too carried away. But a few years ago, there were some kids that were having a sleepover. Um, and it was an 18-year-old, a couple 16-year-olds, a couple 14-year-old, and they, um, <clears throat> they decided that they were going to ring someone's doorbell and run away. Um, and it, it involved some kids that were, I believe, that were part of a youth group, and some of them were actually siblings. They were brothers. Um, and so uh, they, had the, they decided that they were going to challenge one of the boys that either he was going to ring somebody's doorbell or jump into somebody's pool or something. You know, they were out messing around. They decided to just ring someone's doorbell. They pile into um, the 18-year-old's Prius and go and um, ring the uh, doorbell. And unfortunately, they chose the wrong house. And this is what happened. And there might be some background music, because this is just a news report. Thank you. 
So on that note, I'm going to finish what happened in that story. I have a little bit more details about what happened later. Um, but I want to focus on this issue of storms in life. Um, um, <clears throat> and um, we may be going in life, and like all of a sudden, some things go wrong. Um, the world comes crashing in. And I think about this story, and all of a sudden, you had people d d having to struggle with the trauma of the event. You had parents that suddenly learned that their children were dead. Um, how would you respond? In this passage, we're focused on the storms of life and look at how we respond to the difficulties that, that come along in our lives and how does God want us to respond. Um, now, we're looking at the Luke passage. This is actually a story that's mentioned in all three synoptic gospels. It's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, as well as Luke. We're focused at Luke, on Luke. But there are two key questions that I want people to kind of consider uh, really as we go through this and as you go away today. And these, these two questions. What do we expect of God when things come along? And what does God expect of us? So let's look at the passage. One day, one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As, as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. Disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful day, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here. Open us our minds and our hearts to your words so that we might learn from you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So what is happening here? So they're at near what is called the Sea of Galilee, um, it's, and, and, you know, and actually in the, in the passage, he said, let's go across the lake. I'm not, I guess, for our translation, uh, but it is called the Sea of Galilee. He tells his disciples they're going to travel to the other side. Let's go across the lake. I want to go to the city on the other side. And he falls asleep. And then suddenly this storm arises. It grows worse. And eventually his disciples go to Jesus and who was asleep, and in our version, he says, we're going to drown. I guess it was the obvious. They were fearing for their life. I find the Mark passage even more interesting because they look at Jesus, it's recorded as saying, don't you care um, about us? Which to me is really a strong word to say to Jesus, knowing who Jesus was. Jesus arises, rebukes the winds, calm, and uh, suddenly calm, and then he questions his faith, and the disciples respond in kind of an awe. They're awestruck. So what do we learn from this passage, just from reading through it? What are some things that come out? Um, <clears throat> and it is actually packed with quite a bit of information in a very short passage. Uh, one is the lake, or sea, is rather large. Um, if you look at a picture of the Sea of Galilee, um, and I looked at one, I just kind of looked at Google Maps, and I couldn't kind of get it on um, on this passage, I couldn't get to, to, you know, make a copy and put it on. I'm not that good. But if you look at it, it does look large comparatively if you're kind of looking at a map. So it does seem to be rather large. Um, it also kind of tells us it's large because 
When the storm come, came up, they couldn't just like, well, let's just get to the shore. Let's get this big storm. They were kind of stuck. They were stuck from a, a long distance away. Um, and, <clears throat> and so we do know that, and also we know it was large because Jesus had enough time to fall asleep while they were going. So this was a decent amount of trip, a uh, decent distance from the shore. So we learned that the lake was large. We also learn about Jesus' humanity. Kind of an interesting aspect, not a major aspect of this story, but Jesus fell asleep. He was tired. It reveals a lot in his care. He, you know, he needed time to rest. Um, and then the last thing we learn is the storm was bad. Now, um, storms were, like this were common, are still, I assume are still common in the Sea of Galilee. It sits in a basin around mountains, and apparently the way the winds come down and swirl around, it can be very common for you to have all of a sudden this major storm. Now, we know that some of the disciples were fishermen, and so you would assume that they were used to that right? They were used to dealing with storms. In fact, I'm sure that this had occurred at other times, and you'd have some, some, you know, one of the fishermen go on and on about how, you know, oh, we had this, you just, this is nothing. We used to have this big storm once, and kind of going on, tell this sea story of how they got out of it, right? Well, you don't have that here. So it must have been much worse than they were normally had to deal with. Um, now, in consideration of these events, there are two significant questions that kind of come out of this. What did the disciples expect Jesus to do when they awoke him? Is, a, is one question. And what did Jesus expect from the disciples? Because he turns to them and goes, where's your faith? All right? So what did, what did they expect of Jesus? Okay, in this passage, it says that Jesus, you know, they went to him and said, Master, Master, we are going to drown. Um, none of the, uh, now, none of the gospel accounts really kind of get into the mind of the disciples, so we have to kind of decipher it. Uh, <clears throat> now, some people can look at this and go, well, of course, they wanted him to stop the storm, and that's what they got. Thus, they, you know, they, uh, <clears throat> they receive what they want. However, their response after Jesus does this tells us that's actually not what they expected. You know, they, you know, the fact that if they expected, they were going, oh, cool, just what I needed. Thanks, Jesus, and giving him a thumbs up. They didn't do that. They were kind of awestruck. It's, look what it says. Um, it says here, um, in fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So they were taken aback by how he responds. They were not expecting that at all. Um, if, now, if the location of, of, the, of the section you know, from the Bible is any indication, you know, this is early part of that gospel and of the gospels, you know, Jesus hadn't revealed a lot about himself to them. You know, they may have seen him you know, deal with healing, uh, some sort of exorcism of, of you know, dealing with evil spirits. He said some amazing things. Um, however, as was common during his ministry, you know, they never really comprehended who Jesus was. Um, and they did not know where he was coming from, and this was early in his, in his ministry. Now, according to the commentary I look at, um, Luke uses this term, master, master, when the disciples don't really understand who Jesus is. Um, you know, my take on it is more like this, is that, um, this is my paraphrase. We are on the verge of drowning, and all you're doing is sleeping. Pick up an oar and help out, or in the very least, show some concern. So that's my paraphrase of what I think was going through their head. All right? I don't know that for a fact, um, but, um, you know, that's what I'm thinking through. 
Now, what did Jesus expect of them? Which I think is more important. He responds with, where is your faith? Actually, Matthew, um, um, Matthew and uh, Mark have used a slightly different phraseology, but it's still the same thing. It says, Matthew says, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Mark 4, why are you afraid, have you still no faith? Mark seems to be a little bit more harsher, although people would say Mark is more, uh, uh, not afraid to just tell it like it is. You know, he, he has that phrase, you know, don't you care about us? The others didn't have that in there, right? So he's, he's a little bit more direct, I guess, if you will. Now, when it comes to faith, what kind of faith, you know, uh, did Jesus want to see? Let's consider the options. One is faith that Jesus will get them out of this, Right? So, um, of course, this is what happened. However, God does not always get us out of storms. We can't assume that that's the kind of faith he's per se looking at, particularly when you look at the, the lives of the apostles. They didn't have, you know, you could have said, well, they, you know, look at how they lived. They were persecuted and some, a lot of them died horrible deaths. Did they not have enough faith? Well, that, that's just not the case. So we know, um, that's not probably what we're looking at here. In fact, um, if you look at 2 Corinthians here, that Paul gives a reason why God chose not to take you know, something away from him that he wanted him to. He says this, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surprisingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And God never took that away from him. And a lot of people really actually don't know what that thorn in his flesh was. But God made a point that he wasn't going to take it away from him. And so we know that the kind of faith that says, well, we must have faith in God to take away our storms. I don't think that's really what, what, what's after them. Um, well, the second would be, well, faith that Jesus' time had not come. We know that Jesus, um, it was already decided how Jesus would die. And he could, you know, we could say, well, you need to have faith that that time had not come yet. So why are they freaking out? But the truth is, as we know, looking at the Bible, they really didn't always know what was going to happen. In fact, they, he doesn't reveal it till, till later, and they still don't get, like, what's going on? Why is this happening? So they wouldn't have had faith that, hey, you know, this is Jesus. His time has not come, so I don't have to worry, because if he's not going to die, I'm not going to die. And then the last one, which I think is a little bit more on point, it's, is faith in Jesus that no matter what happens, it will be okay. Jesus shows them that he, is, he has power over nature, right? But that is not all, 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 but that, I'm sorry, but that will not always be the case and will likely be rare. He expects them to sit in the bow of, this, of, the, of the boat and wait for him to act. Wait for God to reveal his plan. We demonstrate our faith that regardless of what happens, we are not concerned. Um, you know, now this, you know, this last aspect or this last part really touches more on the nature of Jesus, who he was, right? Because they still didn't know who he was at this point. Uh, many will use this passage 
to say, well, you know, this demonstrates that God will take away the storms of life. And I don't like that. And not that God can't or that God won't. I mean, I think God will at times, and God has the power to do that. I kind of think it cheapens this passage for two reasons. One, God doesn't always take the storms of life. And two, it turns Jesus into some, you know, magic genie that's just going to go do whatever you want God to want him to do. This, this focuses in more on the issue of what we call Christology. It's a study of Christ. I mean, a fancy theological word. The, the, the key for this, um, this story is that this miracle was unique. It was unique compared to a lot of the other miracles that Jesus did. And it was unique because in the New Testament, Jesus mostly dealt with healing other people, as well as maybe exorcism or dealing with evil spirits. The issue with God's power over nature was much more rare. Um, and the truth is, other people had powers, and we see that even in the, uh, and throughout the Bible, that other people that were not followers of God had some level of power, but power over nature is a different, is a different deal. In fact, uh, the commentary I looked at says that in the Old Testament, power over nature was very rare. We see it, you know, you, of course you can see the t- watch the Ten Commandments and see, you know, the party in the Red Sea, but that was a much rarer thing. Um, in fact, Psalms kind of puts it this way. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when they grew calm, and he guided them in their um, desired haven. So the idea here is, is that only God had power over nature. After the miracle, the disciples still did not have faith because they did not understand who he was. Um, He is God. He could snap his fingers and change everything, and the disciples had no idea who he was. Um, This was to show the disciples who Jesus is and that they are in the presence of God and that regardless of what happens, he is worthy of worship. Um, this reminds me of an example. You know, if you heard the phrase, you know, somebody may go, you know, don't you know who you're talking to, right? And a lot of times that phrase is used in more of an obnoxious situation. Somebody who has overblown importance and wants to tell you, like, don't you know who you're talking to? You need to be more serious. And I think that fits here, except that Jesus is important. Jesus is ultimately important, and he is God. Um, and that, that the idea here is, is that... Um, He is God. The point is that if they understood who they were dealing with, they would not have responded the way they did. And that's a huge thing. You need to understand that this is, they were in the presence of God and they had no idea. And they're freaking out as if this is going to go all over, you know, oh my gosh, we need to do something. And Jesus, you need to do something. And we're not even sure what we want you to do because we don't really understand you anyway. I think they were kind of just, they might have been just upset with him. Like, why are you sleeping? Can't you see? We're about ready to die here. So that moves us on, though, to more, the, more on how, what do we draw from this passage? What can we learn from their response and from Jesus' response? And that's the two questions I mentioned at the beginning. What do you expect from God when the storms of life come along? And what does God expect of you? And those are very important things. So first, what do we often expect from God? Um, one is, is that... Um, <clears throat> all right, hold on one second. So I want to, before I kind of jump onto that, I want to finish out my story. So the story I told you about was the three kids that decided to go um, um, push, you know, do the ding-dong ditch. And they, they, the, the story is, is that, like I said, they were having a sleepover 
decided to do this. For the most part, I think they were good kids. Um, I mean, I always like to point out that they got into a Prius um, when this story came out. There was some implication that, well, maybe they were kind of bad kids. And I go, well, what kind of crook uses a Prius? You know, I, I, what kind of headline is that? Well, it's still your money, but he cares about the earth, though, right? Um, you know, so they, for most of they were good kids. Um, now, the idea is they, you know, they went and rang the doorbell, and they jumped in the car and sped away. The owner of the house does, you know, does not respond as you would typically expect, right? Um, you know, cursing them out, finding out their names, and running down their parents, dealing it with it that way. He, and he was dealing with some of his own issues, apparently. He was dealing with um, a charge of domestic violence and endangerment of a child, which I think was his own. And also, according to him in the story, he, he was drinking. Um, he jumps in his nice car and chases them down, um, in which the, the whole chase culminates with him driving over 90 miles an hour and slamming into the side of the kid's car, pushes it down the embankment and slams into a tree and kills three of the, three of the kids. It wraps itself around the tree. Now think for a moment how you would have responded to these events. How would you have responded or have, have responded to kids ringing your doorbell? Um, it, it is an annoyance, um, in the very least. I have two dogs, and when they do this, the dogs bark. In fact, the dogs bark when we're watching a television show and somebody rings the doorbell on the television show. Um, so it is a bit of annoyance. You've got to get them uh, um, um, calmed down. But how would you respond if you were one of the parents of the boys? Would you have been mad at your son or other children for doing this? Would you have been mad at God for not protecting your son and doing more to keep them safe? After all, they died in a rather senseless manner. It's not like they went off to war and died for their country or they died saving a child who pushed the child out of the way of a, you know, a speeding car or something. It was rather senseless. About a month ago, I, got the, I had the opportunity of meeting one of the fathers of the children who died. In fact, he, he, actually, two of the children were his. The, um, one was 14 and one was 16, and the 16-year-old died. His name's Craig Hawkins. Um, I teach at Trinity Law School in California, and he teaches there at Well, and we had a faculty retreat. And so over dinner, I got a chance to spend some time talking to him about this. And when I ran into him, um, now something a little about Craig is, is he used to work, um, he's, he's worked in ministry really his, his whole life, um, started years ago, worked with Walter Martin, for anybody who knows Walter Martin, Christian Research Institute, Kingdom of the Cults, and, and spent a, his life you know, focusing a lot on apologetics, taught at various Christian colleges and apologetics and various things, and so he's He's also been on the radio, um, had his own show, I think, and even might have a podcast. Now, he does teach at the school. I teach as well. Um, uh, so um, at the time I ran into him, uh, the trial for the guy that did this had just ended. And uh, what it resulted in is he was convicted of three counts of first-degree murder and three counts of attempted murder. Um, and the jury deliberated really only for about a few hours, which everyone generally knows that means that there wasn't a whole lot of question about what they, how they thought this should be decided. And in fact, he took the stand himself. According uh, to Craig, that didn't go well. And actually, for somebody who's an attorney, my response was, why did he take the stand? No one takes the stand in their own criminal trial unless generally that doesn't go well. Uh, but apparently, he didn't show a whole lot of remorse either. Um, I asked Craig if he was mad at his sons. I, I, I pointed question, you know, when it happened. He said initially, but that subsided. Um, I, um, when we, we also talked about the perpetrator. I, I, um, you know, he's no winner. 
um, at, at all, and it seemed that he, uh, there wasn't really a whole lot of people supporting him. And we talked about the death penalty, because that actually still exists in California, and it, and it is um, you know, something of that serious that could come up. And he was, really, um, uh, he was really adamant that they did not want the death penalty. Um, he said, you know, this is a guy, this is a guy that's, that still needs Jesus. The concern, he made this very clear to me, he goes, the issue was always public nuisance. He needed to be removed from society. But, you know, um, we, they didn't want the death penalty. Um, he will spend the rest of his life in jail. They were very adamant, too, about no parole. Now, for, for someone like Craig, it can be a temptation to be angry with God. You know, he spent his life serving the Lord. Um, it can be a temptation to look at God and say, I expect more. Um, look at what, you know, look at what I've done for you. I think about this, too. I, I was thinking about uh, the seminary I went to, Dr. Cruz, who was the president at the time. I remember sharing a story when he was, um, he said when his daughter was 35, as he put it, she finally achieved something that she tried numerous times, which was to kill, kill herself. She had a lot, some mental issues and stuff like that. And Dr. Cruz had been in ministry since he was 17. At age 17, his church asked him to pastor the church. And I always get used to think that, man, you could, if you're not, you know, you could really kind of think like, Lord, you know, look at what all I've done for you. Why, you know, this is what I expect more from you. Um, <clears throat> I think the struggle too is, is it's one thing for someone to go in and do things for the Lord and, and expect stuff to happen to me. It's a little different when it deals with our children. Even though we shouldn't, we still do. We always think that, Lord, you can hurt me, but just don't hurt my children, right? And it doesn't work out that way. Um, <coughs> um, now, the other thing, okay, so let's, let me get my play. <laughs> so, so when you follow, yeah, so um, with the, when difficulty happens, what are some common expectations of God? So I want to focus in on those a little bit. One is we want God to fix the problem. Um, and people will look at this passage. It says, you know, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Um, they read this passage and say, I have enough faith. God must fix my problems. This is a misunderstanding of this passage. It's not describing that God will always do what you want. It's just saying it's the type of faith that you need. Uh, this type of thinking also leads into some bad theology. We see it in something called, you know, the name it and claim it, the idea that if I have enough faith, I can force God's hand. Unfortunately, a lot of times it deals with material gain. Um, on the contrary, this is what the Word of God also says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according, and this is key, according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we uh, have asked of him. The key is we're praying in his will, not in my will, and praying it in God's will. Um, so the second thing that we have is we want to know why it happened. Um, people want to see that the death or trial has meaning. This can be tough because some tragedies like these boys can be seen so senseless. Um, and we have Paul's passage where he talks about possible reasons, you know, to keep uh, me from, keeping him from being conceited. He put the thorn in his flesh, and he said, you're going to have to deal with this the rest of your life. Um, however, and this may come out a little harsh, but I'm going to say it anyway, God is under no obligation to explain to you why. 
Um, now, we know now, the thing is, oh, but doesn't Jesus, God love me? Yes, God loves you. Jesus died for your sins. He did the ultimate. God loves you very much, but he's still under no obligation to tell us why. And this is illustrated in a few, um, few verses here. I need to go back to that slide. Um, but it says this, Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? And then the Isaiah passes, Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a, a pot shard among the pot shards on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, What are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? And that always struck me as funny. It's like, it is kind of like that. I mean, if you're making something on a potter wheel and it turned to you, why are you making me like this? That would be a little weird, right? And that's a little bit how God is with us. He's made us. And, and yes, God still loves you and wants you, you know, to give you great things. But at the same time, he's God and we're not. You know, and so we need to keep that in hand. And so the last reason I need to go back on here says we can get caught up in the reason why. I think that we can get can get focused too much on the reason why or who is doing this to us. And I think the more important reason, the more important aspect is, how are we going to respond to it? Not that that's not important, but I think we can get too obsessed with it. So that moves us on really to the most important question is, what does God um, expect of us when the storms come? My slides got a lot of order, but that's okay. What does this, what is, um, this is important because there are many people who walk away from God because he doesn't do what, he, what they expect him. And I think that's a common thing. Things happen, and then they go, well, I didn't expect this. And so it is important for us to understand what does God actually expect of us. Now, remember what this passage is teaching us. This reveals who Jesus is, it shows a side to him that was not even imagined by the disciples. They never expected this. It does, it does show us that God has ultimate power and control. This shows us how we should respond to the storms in life. And I think really the, um, the one thing that comes to mind, really for me, first and foremost, and it was this, we come to him with childlike faith, faith in God who is in complete control. And we have this verse. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? He said to, said to uh, he called a little child and had him stand among him. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this uh, in my name welcomes me. So for me, it's, it's about childlike faith. Um, um, it, actually, the visual I had in my mind is from a TV show, How I Met Your Mother. Um, and there's this one aspect that Marshall, who's one of the characters, who, by the way, my son, is, that's where we got his name. Um, in, in this show, he, if you've ever watched the show, he's got, he adore, Marshall adores his father, and his, his father's his biggest fan. And a tragedy happens where his dad dies, and he's struggling with the death of his father. And he's, he's kind of illustrating kind of an aspect of his father, and it was this scene where he describes him driving down the road, and they're all in the car, and you can't see anything. 
And his dad is just driving down the road, and, and he had such trust in his dad that his dad would take him there. And it shows this little scene of a little kid kind of looking up at his, his dad and kind of smiling and go, you got it, dad. Now, we learn later in the show that his dad actually didn't, didn't, was really guessing on where they were going. But and, and the thing is, difference from his dad and Jesus and God, God knows where he's going. He can see it. But that imagery I have is... That's the type of imagery we should have. That's what we, that dependence on God is the dependence we should have. That looks at your, you know, looks at our Heavenly Father and says, you know, I don't know where this is going. This is really scary, but I'm just going to trust you. No matter what happens, it's okay. You know, it's just that childlike faith. Um, second thing is faith in His Word. Um, is that faith that God will work out in the end um, in the Bible, we learn that God is working out a plan to redeem the whole world. We need to trust that God will work that plan out. Now, how do we do that? And this is my concluding thing so that people, the music team can, move, uh, can come up to the stage is that I think the one thing that when I look at this is that we need to glorify God no matter what happens. Um, Corinthians says this, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of of God. Um, no matter what kind of storms come, we should glorify God in what we do. Um, some people have, you know, just an example that came to mind that some people will do is that when a child maybe dies from an illness when they're young, they might set up a foundation to raise money so this doesn't happen again. It's a way of like memorializing and kind of giving meaning um, to what, you know, what has happened uh, to their child. Uh, <clears throat> now, some people will also say, well, yeah, this must have been why God did this. I'm not sure that's always true, because um, I think tragedy happens all the time, and tragedy happens because of sin. Um, I think sometimes when, God, when things go bad, God looks at us and wants to see how we will respond to that tragedy. And so you can respond in different ways. You can focus on the tragedy yourself, or you can turn and say, okay, God, let's move forward, and let's see, and I'll glorify you and keep moving forward and continue to glorify you in my life, despite this terrible thing. Now, mind you, I just want to point out one thing. I realize I say this, and it occurred to me when I was working this, is my life has been relatively good. Um, and so it's, it's easy for me to say that. I just want to say that to people. I have not myself dealt with a really terrible tragedy, and I know some people in this room have. But I just wanted to let you know that. It still doesn't take away from the truth that I'm saying. I don't know why I needed to say that, but I just felt like I needed to say that. Um, because I, I do believe God has blessed me, which means at some point God's going to drop some tragedy in my life, probably. I don't know. And then I'll have to put these words into practice, and then maybe it'll change how I do this sermon. Um, and the second and last thing is, continue to live out the gospel miss mission. Um, when I think about the story of the boys again and the guy who, who murdered them, it would be natural to want to hurt this person. Um, he rammed this car into this kid, kid's car. I mean, seriously. Um, and killing them over a stupid prank, right? However, God wants us to pray for our enemies. We see it in Matthew. You have heard it said, love your enemies, I mean, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute it. What does God want, uh, want from us? Just like, you know, <clears throat> just like you were at one point, somebody like him is a sheep without a shepherd, and he needs Jesus just as much as you do. Thank you.